and welcome to the NFL 100 show from Gridiron, where we look back at the history of the NFL in its 100th season through its greatest rivalries and stories told by those who lived them. Coming up this week, it's the Ice Bowl, the 1967 NFL Championship game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. This is the NFL 100 show. Hello and welcome to the NFL 100 show. Will Gavin, my favorite NFL historian, Matt Sherry, and writer of a quality book, which name I can't remember right now. I'm which is coming out next Sunday, year. Well, it couldn't be more difficult. <laughs> I actually, easier, so. I'm actually sure, not sure I even knew that was the name until you just told me. I've just been telling people that you're writing a book on the 100-year history of the NFL, but that's the first time I think I've heard that that's what it's called. It works it's a as a name, pen. doesn't it? It's about games... You know, the, the history is told through the 20 games. So, yeah, any given Sunday. The NFL's epic 100-year journey through 20 games. That's the, the full title and subtitle. Oh, I loved it with the little sub as well. Oof. Got my heart a flutter, buddy. Uh, so, we're talking the Ice Bowl this week. If you haven't heard this show before or you're just joining us for the first time, this is uh, a show where we look back on the 100-year history of the NFL, but we take a game that's happening in this weekend Slater games. This time it's Cowboys-Packers, which, by the way, is a barnstormer coming up this weekend. And we look back at a historic game or the, or the rivalry between these two teams. And this week it is the Ice Bowl. So, joining us on the show, we're going to be hearing from Hall of Fame linebacker of those Green Bay Packers, Dave Robinson. Plus, we'll be hearing from Boyd Dowler. Is he Boyd Dowler in the Hall of Fame as no, well? No, multiple All-Pro, but not a Hall of Famer. Feels like he might be one of those who gets in on these extended NFL 100-type classes. Uh, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Packers and an NFL Rookie of the Year. So we're going to hear from them on the topic of the Ice Bowl, which is, is one of those games which lives down in absolute infamy, even though it was uh, you know prior to the current modern covering of the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing with it is this week, we, we had this on the Music City Miracle, and I apologise now to Adam Foxcroft, who messaged me, hoping we were doing the Music City Miracle. It's very ironic that I've spent the last hour writing about the Music City Miracle and that greatest show on turf for the, for the book, actually. But, yeah, we thought the ice ball was, was too good not to do it. And, you know, the AFC-AFC battles... Uh, uh, I think there's more chance of the Bills and the Titans facing off again, especially with the spectre of Chicago winning their division. So we kind of had to go with this one this week. So I apologise. And truthfully, we've been so busy with some of the stuff happening in London that the Music City Miracle meant it getting other interviews and we just haven't had the time. So we're going for the ice ball and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> now, uh, let's start off from the top. It's a rivalry based on two coaches incredibly familiar with each other in Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, before these guys became two of the greatest head coaches in NFL history, you know, they they were on the same coaching staff in the 50s with the with the New York Giants and you know the interesting part is that that even in those days players could see in fact even the head coach Jim Lee Howell could see that these guys were precocious so uh, on one occasion he literally said my only job is to make sure that there's air in the footballs i mean so lombardi ran the offense Tom Brady Land- would have been a huge fan <laughs> 
<laughs> That's very good, Will. Um, but, uh, the Deflategate jokes haven't gone out of date in any way, shape or form. <laughs> but, you know, so that was the way it was. And it was a very... It wasn't the friendliest rivalry. It was a rivalry between two men on the same coach and staff. You know, Frank Gifford, the famous halfback for the Giants, would say practice was, was a battle between the offence and the defence and, and therefore between Lombardi and Landry. I think, you know, what's interesting is is the the vast differences between between the two men. You know, Landry nicknamed Vince Lombardi Mr. High Low. And the reason he did is, is Lombardi was was notoriously volatile with his temper. He was, but he was the kind of man that you didn't know what you were going to get from on on any given day. I read one thing that suggested he might actually have been characterised as bipolar in the in the modern day. You know, and Landry, Landry wasn't, the, the irony is Landry was kind of the middle of those two things in that he didn't really show any emotions at all. He was a very cold man. So there's this great difference between the two of them and and it it creates as i say within the within the giants it creates this this rivalry that then continues when they become head coaches and lombardi obviously becomes the head coach in, in green bay in 1959 and, and landry is the cowboys's first head coach in in 1960 and, and i guess two men who landed in perfect spots you know as coaches vince lombardi as a coach was somebody who preached discipline and he preached repetition and he he had a very small playbook but it was all about execution that was the fundamental trait of his of, of Vince Lombardi that that's not to say he wasn't innovative he was the first man to, to get Polaroid shots of the defense lowered down to the sideline and and would make little adjustments but he believed in little adjustments to the sweep and the schemes that he used making a big difference based on execution Landry was the opposite he was most comfortable by the projector screen, reinventing, coming up with new players, you know. He he founded the four three defence, which was uh a, a kind of of evolution of a defence that, that he played under Steve Owen early in his career. And what he did, he had a great middle linebacker with the Giants called Sam Huff. And he at that time there weren't middle linebackers, there was just a third man on the line. He moved Huff back because of his athleticism creating the, the modern middle linebacker and the the four three defence, you know. Then he creates the flex defence in, in Dallas, which is alternating guys on the line of scrimmage and 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 that again is designed to take advantage of a of a special player in Bob Lilly who had great agility and, you know, that would disguise the gaps and that would create the flex defence. So Landry was a was a real innovator. He was constantly looking to push the envelope, and and Lombardi didn't see football that way, and that's that's what made it such a great rivalry. Two absolute all time greats who saw the game through totally different eyes. So two two guys who saw the game through different eyes, and we've talked previously about this way this Cowboys team was built and how it took time to get to where they were, and and the fact that they went up against the Green Bay Packers was one of the reasons why they didn't have early success. Because it's fair to say that Vince Lombardi inherited a much better situation when he turned up. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, a lot of the, all of the credit basically goes to Lombardi and Green Bay. But if you if you look at what he inherited, you know, the 1958 draft, the year he, before he got there, furnished them with multiple Hall of Famers. You know, Jerry Kramer was one of them, I think. And, and, and he... Well, he inherited, he inherited a football team, and that's the key. Tom Landry never he inherited 
an expansion team. So, you know, there were pieces in place for, for Lombardi to work with, which is why he was so instantly able to turn them around. You know, they won seven games in his first season, which was, I think, their first winning season for a decade plus in Green Bay. So that shows how great a coach he is, but it also shows there were there were pieces there for, for him to, to play with. And, and it was a different scenario for Dallas. They literally started from scratch. You know, Gilbrand told us that on the show a couple of weeks ago. So, so yeah, it... As Green Bay winning their first two titles in 61 and 62, the Cowboys are really struggling and it takes a few years for for them to, to start winning some games. But eventually they do win some games and, and what that creates then is, you know, Green Bay won two titles, then it was the Bears and the Browns and then Green Bay kind of roll back to relevance again in the, in the mid-60s. And as they do that, the, the Cowboys are probably at that time the other prominent team that they are routinely on collision course with at the end of the season. The thing is, the they're so intrinsically linked, these coaches. There's so much to uh, history and background to it. But people always think about the Ice Bowl as being that kind of apex. But that wasn't the first time they faced off in an NFL championship game. No, it wasn't. I mean, they did the year before. What made the Ice Bowl so interesting was it was a rematch of... Have you know, up until that time, probably one of the, the absolute all-time great NFL championship games, right up there with the one in 58, the Johnny Unitas one. And and it was just, it was a great game that was, there was really a coming-of-age game for the Cowboys, even though they lost. You know, they were down 14 to nothing in the, in the opening quarter, but they just kept fighting and stayed in touch, in touch, and then... Late in the fourth quarter, we get Don Meredith hitting Frank Clark for a, for a 68-yard touchdown that leaves them within seven points. And then Landry's defense does its part, and they get the ball back. Drive down the field again, and, you know, right at the end of the game, they're knocking on the door to, to level this game. And eventually, it, it all comes down to one play, as the ice ball will the next year. And, and the similarities are, are obvious, you know, it's just in reverse. The next year, it's... Dallas's defense needing to make a play on the last play. This year, it was their offense. And, you know, actually, the fundamental result of this game is a key tactical error from Landry against Lombardi. And it, what he does, he puts Hall of Famer Bob, Le, Bob Hayes in on the goal line package, which he'd never, ever played before. And Hayes was, was at this point, probably becoming pro football's best receiver. He was the sprinter who... Was a was an Olympic gold medalist who goes on to become this incredible wide receiver. But what he wasn't was capable of handling, you know, a tight goal line situation. So end up with this incredible situation where Bob Hayes is forced to try and defend um, Dave Robinson, the Hall of Fame linebacker for the for the Packers, and and it goes about as well as you'd expect. Robinson blitzes in front of his face, gets to Don Meredith, who who actually makes a really nice play. You can watch the footage back in colour and he, he somehow <laughs> avoids the sack and gets the ball away, but it, it ends up being intercepted and, and the Packers win the championship. And um, yeah, we can... You've heard me explain the play. Let's hear from Dave Robinson, the man who made the key play to, to win that game. In, in preparation for, for talking to you, I watched the... End of the '66 NFL Championship game again. The the play where oh, you hunt down Don Meredith and he throws the interception. Um, yeah. Is it true that Coach Lombardi, at least publicly, gave you a negative grade for that play? <laughs> uh, 
In fact, after the, after the play, I was in the locker room. He came in and after the game, he came up to me and in front of some reporters and a bunch of guys. And he said, and pat me on the back and said, "Great play, Robbie." He said, and he pat me on the back and said, "Great play." He said, but you know the way you played is not the way we drew up on the on the board. And I said, "No, coach. I thought it was a thing to do at the time." He said, "Well," he said, "I'm going to have to give you a minus two. And he laughed with a big hearty Lombardi laugh and pat me on the shoulder, shoulder again and walked away. Now, I don't know if he gave me a minus two or not because it was the last game of the season and I didn't really go in and check my grades for that, for that game. But uh, uh, he, oh. he, but he said if he did do it, he did do it. He, I could tell from the way he acted that he was pleased with my play whether he had to give me a minus two or not. But it, I did not play it the way the play is described. They had run on first. If you get, like, we ran that, watch it again. When they were down on the goal line, first and goal on the one-yard line, yeah. and they ran a play similar to that, someone else had the force, came up, and he played it the way it's, it's drawn up on the board. And the guard hit, blocked it. Bart Merritt pulled up and threw a pass, and the tight end dropped it in the end zone. Now, I figured when it came around my turn, when it got down to fourth down, it's fourth and one, the game's on the line. Fourth and two, excuse me. The game was on the line. I figured, like I always say, if you always do what you've always done, then you're always going to get what you always got. In other words, if I do it that way, I'm sure he's going to pull up. I have felt very confident he's going to throw the pass. Then what are the chances of a, a guy dropping two passes within a minute or so in one game? So I figured I had to do something a little bit different. So I innovated my, my rush. I uh, I hit I, I wouldn't let the, the end who was tight, Bob Hayes, I would not let him off the line. And when the guard pulled, I guess he saw the struggle, and he assumed that, I was being blocked, and he ran by me. As soon as he ran by me, I cut between the guard and Don Mears and cut him off, and, and and got right to the quarterback. It was just, it was just a variation. It's something you don't want to do all the time because if if you, if you did that, you had a history of doing that, then the guard's going to log you. But sometimes you can't do it the way it's drawn up. The way a play is drawn up, they can get, they can look at the films and see how you play that play every time. And they're going to set their offense up to take advantage of the way you play that play. Yeah. So you sometimes have to, do, sometimes you have to make a, a adaptation. You have to adapt yourself. So if they don't, so otherwise they don't, and and they catch them by surprise, and you end up with a play like that. You, you can't just keep doing. If you, if they was, if they, they in their playbook, they had drawn up. You pull, and the linebackers will come across. You just block him out, and then Don can can run. Don can run a pass. But all of a sudden, I wasn't there. Now they got to make a decision, and, and, and you know. You, you, football is not just X's and O's. You got to be. You got to be it's a thinking man. Isn't it? You got to use your head. Dave Robinson, Hall of Famer for the Green Bay Packers, made the winning play to win that game, to win the '66 NFL Championship. So, to the NFL 1967 season, the season of the Ice Bowl. Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating season. Actually, this is to me one of the most interesting seasons in NFL history and not necessarily just because of the ice ball and so this is something I never knew at all entering this book but at this on this year was Don Shula was the the Baltimore Colts head coach you know he was obviously the coach when they lost to Joe Namath in Super Bowl three but this was potentially Shula's best team in Baltimore you know he had a younger Unitas and they were just an absolute wagon that year and they didn't even make the playoffs which is insane because I think most people agree that they were the best team in football this year, but they finished 
11-1-2 and had the same record as the Rams in their division and therefore missed out in the playoffs because there was no wild card then and, and the, the Rams get to the playoffs ahead of them on, on point differential in head-to-head games. That's how tight it was. So... So yeah, it, that really. I mean, it's not to say that Green Bay wouldn't have won the championship if the if the Colts were in the playoffs, but it, there's an argument that they might not have. But what actually happens is this this aging Packers team. By this point, you know, this is the very end of Lombardi's run. But and he retires after the season. Lombardi. It's, it, we don't really know whether. He was always planning to retire, but we do know that he was desperate to win three championships in a row, which is something that Curly Lambeau had done in Green Bay previously. And eventually, you know, they, they beat the Rams in the playoffs and, and set up a meeting with, with Dallas, who, who really hammered Cleveland in their, in their kind of playoff semi-final as it was at the time. And, and, and we end up with, with this repeat NFL championship game. But the big difference is... This one's in Green Bay and not Dallas. You know, the year before, it was played out in these lovely conditions, pristine field, everything that you could want a football game to be. It was a little bit different on New Year's Eve in 1967. The Dallas Cowboys were staying at the at the Appleton Hotel and when their wake-up call came at 7am, there's a great story of Bob Meredith answers the phone and the, uh, the operator says to him, Good morning, it's 7 o'clock and 16 below. And Meredith says, what? What are you talking about? And she goes, step outside, honey, and you'll find out. So, <laughs> so like, you know, these Packer, these Packer fans in the hotel are already, like, they're making it clear what's in store. And, you know, Bob Lilly, the, the great defensive tackle for the Cowboys, actually opened his curtain that day and saw sunny skies and thought, oh, well, this bad weather that was predicted kind of came around. And then George Andre, his, his roommate, comes in and says, it's, it's hell, it's hell out there. And he says, what are you talking about? It's sunny. And he goes, so literally, Andre, water, water into a glass, walks over to the window and throws the water at the window. And by the time the water has hit the windowsill, it's frozen over into an icicle. Wow. And that's inside. <laughs> so yeah, there's I mean there's a million I mean, great stories. Are, these are the days before proper air conditioning. So <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like there's you know there's I spoke to a fan who had to walk backwards to the stadium because the right into the wind and it was horrific. You know, Frank Gifford on commentary said he was going to take a bite out of his coffee and wasn't joking. Um, you know, I think eleven band members got hy- hypothermia and they had to cancel the halftime show because of that and wow. the instruments freezing. And what made it worse? So Vince Lombardi the previous year had had this $80,000 heating system installed on the field. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the, the idea was for days like this, it was quite prescient. But in reality, the system froze. So this amazing <laughs> heating system actually froze because it was that cold. And what happened is there was, there was a tarp cover on the field and all the condensation had gathered on top of the cover. And soon as they removed that, all this condensation just went onto the field and within the blink of an eye, it turned into essentially an ice rink. Um, so yeah, all these factors combined to create a, just a game like no other. So let's, let's again throw it to Dave Robinson who was able to tell us just what the conditions were like and whether the game actually should ever have gone ahead. It was cold. It was cold. I tell you, the game was so cold, the game really shouldn't have been played. But, uh, but it, it was... Uh... 
that no one can call the game except the commissioner. He was he was at the, he was at the other game. He was in at the game in Oakland that day. He wasn't in Green Bay, and so the game had to go on. And we made the best of it. You know, there's so many things about that game. I can say, and during the game, you know, there were, there were no whistles in the game. The whistles are froze up, and they decided not to use them. And when one official tried to take the whistle out of his mouth, the, they, they, I didn't see it, but they said he ripped the skin off his lips yeah. when, because the, his lip had froze into the whistle. <laughs> so what happened, they, the, the, they'd come in and they'd say, okay, ball's ready for play. Go, 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 go. And then they would go out, and when the play was over, they'd come in and say, stop, 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 stop. Play's over, stop. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, when you play in a football game, a lot of times guys hit just a little bit late when there's a whistle. When there's no whistle, a lot of guys hit a little bit late. Yeah. I mean, on both sides. A lot of guys got hit hard. And so it's made for an entirely different game with no whistles in the game. And it was just, and the, and the field got frozen. It was, oh, it's just terrible. It was just, a, it, it, all the rules were thrown out the window because of the weather. The weather was the number one factor in that game. And here's something interesting, too. If, 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 if that game, when the game started, the field was just wet, like it had been a heavy rainfall because the tarp on the field, the condensate had gone up, hit the tarp and fallen down, and the field was just wet. And the ground was soft and stalled. And when you took the tarp off and the wind was blowing, the way you blow on soup, when you try to cool the soup, the wind kept blowing in that field trying to cool it. And that's what started to cool the field. And then the field started to freeze, started to crust over. In the first half when the field was playable, we were beating Dallas pretty good. 14 to, uh, 14 to 7, 14 to 9. We had... Two early touchdowns anyway. Dallas didn't take command of the game until the field was frozen. Yeah. That's when they, well, uh, we, we fumbled the ball and they, and they got it and kicked the field goal. Then they sacked Bart Starr in the, in the, in the snow and the ice field. By that time, when they sacked Bart, the field was frozen completely. And Bart was going back and he kind of halfway slipped and fumbled and they got the ball, ran in for a touchdown. Then they threw, then they threw that, uh, then they threw that weird pass, uh, is a, is a run action pass and they threw it. That was that was an offer, good offensive play by Dallas. And that built them up 14, 17 to fourteen because they wiped out our, our two point two touchdown lead we had in the first quarter, first half, and then it came down to the one last play. And also, if you check the records, uh, before that last drive, uh, the, the previous thirty three plays that the, or something like that that we ran against Dallas in the ice bowl. Dallas had held our offense like 10 or 12 yards, something really, really soft, something ridiculous. So Dallas, if you analyze that game, we played better under the soft field. Dallas played better under the frozen field. Yeah. But yet they complained that the field was frozen. <laughs> and I say I chalked that up to the fact that losers always have an excuse. But they really had a better game than we did when the field froze. You just check, get, the, get the film and check it. You'll be amazed. Because no one does. People just assume that we had the advantage because the field was frozen. It was to our, we're to our disadvantage, really. Well, that sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Uh, Dave Robinson there, and as he alludes to, and I think it's fair with the cold, the, the Packers really struggled in that second half of that game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because... As Robinson says, you know, people did think that the advantage was with was with um, Green Bay in those conditions. But I've watched back the game, you know, as he urges you to. It's 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 great how these players still can't let some of the things that are said go. And and he's right. I mean, he is absolutely right in in what he says that the bad conditions negated the things that Green Bay did well in the first half. And 
the stats are incredible in terms of the the lack of ability to move the the lack of ability to move the ball in the second half. But with four fifty left, Green Bay are on their own thirty two yard line, and I don't think there's a person in the stadium, despite all the greatness, that thinks that they can win the game. You know, after what's happened in that second half, the way the Cowboys have roared back, but. There were people in the stadium who thought that and they happened to be wearing Packer uniforms. So let's speak to one of them, Boyd Dowler, just about what it was like getting in that huddle with Bart Starr and why that team was able to do what came next. That was a highlight of my career. And that was a highlight of our career as a football team, I believe. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the quarterback was, uh, was uh, you know, unusual. I mean, he always was. He was so reliable and stepped in the huddle and said, okay, we well, you know what we're going to do. We're going to go down the field and put this ball in the end zone. And uh, we did. And we, I, we overcame some third down situations too. We had a third down. We had a third down in about, we had second down. We had a first and 10 and we ran the sweep, lost eight yards. So we were second and 18 right at midfield. And I think we got about 10 yards on the next play to make it third and eight. And we made nine on third down. So we overcame a terrible long yardage situation, especially with the weather the way it was. Yeah. To, to, to be second, second and 18, I believe it was. And he threw a pass to Donnie Anderson for eight or 10. And he threw a pass to Chuck Mercine for another eight or 10 or 12 or something like that. And we, we converted, we converted the first down and, uh, went on in. And, but I think it was, it was third down when we scored the touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't, we we didn't just, we didn't do it. I don't know how many plays it took, but it must've been 10, eight, 10, 12 plays. I don't know how much it was, but I know one thing. There wasn't anybody in the huddle that was scared. Yeah. And we didn't, but we didn't, I don't know, we didn't scare. Yeah. Uh, we were, we were all, and I said, I mentioned how many guys in that huddle had been playing together from most of us starting in 1959. And uh, <clears throat> that's a long time. That's a lot of huddles. <laughs> that's a lot of huddles to get into with the same people and the same quarterback. Were you? And the same people, same people. Well, we had, we had two running backs were different. Donnie Anderson was a youngster. He was a second year player. Chuck Mercine had come to us just a number of weeks before from the New York Giants. So we did not have Horning and Taylor. In that game, there were, you know, people kind of think that Paul and Jimmy were fixtures on the Packers all the way through, but they weren't even with, they weren't with our team in, in that second Super Bowl year, yeah, they were they were gone. Love Boyd Dow, like Boyd Dowler talking about Bart Starr, talking about their approach to at the end of the game there, where it did look pretty much all said and done that the cause hopeless, as we say, comes down to third down with 13 seconds left. The Packers use their final timeout, down three, and Bart Starr heads over to Vince Lombardi. Yeah, he does, and and this is the this is the part that goes down in in folklore. You know, 
this ultra competitive man Vince Lombardi who wants nothing more than to win a third title but ultimately when Bart Starr comes over and says look I really want to run a quarterback sneak so what had happened is the previous two players they did run standard running players slipped over before the line of scrimmage basically and, and not being able to get it in from the from the one yard line so Starr says I can get me foot and I'm going to run the quarterback sneak um can we can we call that? Now this is an incredible risk at the time because they have no timeouts left and there's thirteen seconds remaining. So if they don't get it, then they definitely wouldn't have had time to kick a field goal. So it's either get it now or lose the game, you know. And I think they didn't want to kick a field goal because nobody wanted overtime. So he just says to them, Well then just run it and then let's get the hell out of here. And this is what happens on that final play. I didn't know he was gonna sneak. He called a handoff. He called a straight-ahead handoff to Mersin and uh, didn't even didn't call an audible or anything. Just kept the ball. That's awesome. That's so. So cool. he didn't uh, he didn't audible. Bart audibled a lot in a lot of games, but he did not in that particular case. He he just he told he asked Jerry Kramer if he could get a a good uh, grip on his his takeoff on the ice yeah. and uh, he didn't, but he didn't, he called, I think it was 31 wedge or something like that, but it wasn't, he didn't call a quarterback sneak. I know that. Boyd Dowler describing how the ice bowl came to a conclusion and uh, you know, the final stand as it ended up being for Lombardi's great team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Packers were just, uh, they would go on to win Super Bowl two against the Raiders. But it's worth stressing, you know, you said Boyd Dowler, two-time Super Bowl champion. At this time, it was all about winning the NFL championship. You know, the Super Bowl was considered, it was proven wrong a year later, but in this year, it was felt that the NFL championship was the big game. And, and proven correct, because the, the Packers would go on to beat the Oakland Raiders comfortably in Super Bowl two. So... This was the, the end of what Dowler and Robinson both said to me was a crusade for Lombardi. He wanted three in a row. It was five overall over the course of that run in the 1960s. And then, and then Lombardi would, would retire after the season. He initially stays on for a year as, as kind of general manager. And, but it just, it's never the same again. They went six, seven and one the next season. And then it took really three decades for, for the Packers to become relevant again. Lombardi would eventually have a brief spell in Washington, but then sadly passed away with cancer. So, yeah, this was the last stand for for a team, I guess, that we still, in our mind's eye, consider as the, as the greatest in NFL history. Just because it was such a sustained period. I mean, five championships in seven years is is absolutely obscene. And, and nobody's ever ever done that. The closest we've seen is... You know, the Patriots have done six, but over a much greater period, and the Steelers did four in six years, I think. Um, so, yeah, it was it was the last act of, of really just an absolutely all-time great team and, and brought down the curtain on that, on that epic rivalry, certainly in Green Bay. As I said, Lombardi does go to Washington, but the, the rivalry is known for the, between Landry and Lombardi for, for the years in, in Dallas and Green Bay. Well, Sherry, uh, we've we've kind of the two teams that we've covered uh, in some depth. Obviously, it's it's a, a a rivalry which has continued into recent times. You know, uh, we've had the 
The Dez, did he catch it? No, not under the rules at that time. Uh, Rogers to Jared Cook in recent memory, that amazing throw and that comeback. I like... It promises to be a barnstormer again this weekend, even if it kind of feels like, well, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like this game feels a little bit like the Cowboys last time out, where we'll see what Dak Prescott can do against a good defense. But actually, we've got two good defenses, which I don't know, maybe isn't the tradition for these two teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a little bit more like those old school 60s games now isn't yeah. it i think yeah that's the that's the great irony so so yeah i mean it's it's a fun rivalry it's that i i really enjoy the idea that you know decades after the, those in the 60s we've had those moments recently and let's hope we get another nice installment on on sunday Absolutely. Uh, Sherry, brilliant stuff as always. Uh, NFL 100. Uh, if you, This is the first one you've heard. We've also done episodes on the 49ers Bengals, two Super Bowls, the Packers and the Bears rivalry. Uh, last week we did a, a kind of round the NFL looking at the expansion teams, but specifically looking at how all 32 teams ended up in the league. Uh, I'm going to totally forget what the other one was on. Oh, it was, another, it was the other Cowboys one, wasn't it? Probably yeah. need to not do these teams anymore from this point. Yeah, well, that's it. We are. <laughs> we are we are taking a clean break now. That was the only reason I contemplated not not doing the ice ball. But it's the ice ball. I mean, it, it is literally. It's probably the most iconic game in NFL history. Yeah, yeah. We had to do it, and I'm glad we did do it. What's coming up? Uh, we got two next week. 100, percent we'll do two next week. Uh, Washington Miami is Super Bowl seven, and the conclusion of the Dolphins' perfect season. Um, so we'll get into a little bit of. You know, the history with Don Shuler and, and how it was a bit of a redemption for him in that story and just kind of the story of that season. So we've got Paul Warfield, Hall of Fame wide receiver. Uh, Jim Langer, who I interviewed only a few months ago and has sadly passed away since. Um, another Hall of Famer. And then another potential Hall of Famer, Dick Anderson, who I think might well be in the class this year. He absolutely should be. I mean, he was probably... He was the heartbeat of that no-name defence. And then... Unfortunately, we are going to have to do this one as well. Uh, Giants, <laughs> Patriots. Um, I spent actually a lovely 30 minutes speaking to David Tyree uh, last week. So we'll we'll mix in a little bit of that as well at the end. Uh, probably less of that because it's a little bit more recent. And yeah, I mean, we might, to be honest, Will, we, we might run some of the Tyree in, in the Gridiron show as well. Because it's a long, it's a longer interview. I don't don't want these shows to be too long. So yeah, there's that, and uh, just a nod as well. Next week, uh, the Packers against the Lions is the oldest continuous rivalry in the NFL. People think it's Packers Bears, but um, in the strike shortened season in the 1980s, they didn't play each other. So the oldest continuous game is Packers Bears, and that is also in week six. Wonderful stuff, um, brilliant stuff, mate. Appreciate. Your time. Hope everyone enjoyed listening. We'll have another podcast out tomorrow, which will be to preview the weekend's action and look back on a cracking Thursday night football. Uh, and uh, we've been out at uh, Raiders tr- practice. Uh, I had a good chat with Hunter Renfro today, and then we're off to Bears tomorrow. So we'll have some of that for you as well. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. This has been the NFL 100 show from Gridiron. 
Hey guys, it's Devon Sam here from LucasAid Sports Podcast, running the show. Check out this week's episode where we get to meet the one and only Anthony Joshua. Oh my goodness, do you think he wants to be friends with us now? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he told me that he wants to link up and have a bit of sparring. Yeah, sure he did. So head to all your podcast providers and click subscribe now. Also get in touch with us at LucasAid Sport using the hashtag running the show. You will not regret it.